So I posed a question uh, a couple of days ago on social media. My question was, what is one thing that you always buy name brand? And I'd like some answers here. I know we got the youth pastor up here. He's going to make you respond, talk back. What are some brand loyalties? I just want to hear a couple shouted out here. Carrie Brand. Oh, there we go. You still get some humor, even if he's not up here. What else? Some brand loyalties. Oreos. What was that over here? Tide, so laundry detergent. Heinz ketchup. Toilet paper. So I got responses via social media from uh, Kraft macaroni and cheese to Jif peanut butter uh, to Pampers diapers. The story of generic fails with that. Um, were interesting, to say the least. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that there's a time and a place for bu- buying generic. Sometimes that's the way to go. I personally am an Aldi loyalist. You find me at the grocery store, nine times out of the ten, it's, it's Aldi, which is primarily generic items. But there are just certain things you have to buy name brand. So Carrie uh, brought up Heinz ketchup is, is one of those things. To me, ketchup is ketchup. But I also know for someone here, if you don't know Dickie Swanson, I hear he's a Heinz ketchup or nothing kind of guy. And if you don't know Dickie, rumor has it that he buys Heinz ketchup in quantities that require a pump. That is brand loyalty. There are certain things that you just have to buy name brand. So that kind of begs the question, so what motivates us to buy generic items. What, what, what are the factors that motivate us? I, I would argue two main things. Number one, it costs less. At the end of the day, your receipt shows that you spent less money on generic items. So I'd say that's the, one of the things that motivates us. Number two, I'd say that we're motivated by the fact or by a promise that this is going to be just as good. This is basically the same thing. You just don't get the fancy packaging. In some cases, that's true. But there are just those certain things. And so, graduates, you are moving on to the next stage of life, to a stage of life where uh, funds at times are going to be limited, and you are going to be tempted by generic. So perhaps my biggest brand loyalty, and I heard it out here, is Charmin Ultra Soft Toilet Paper. When I went to college, my roommates did not agree with me on this. We, we shared a bathroom. There were five of us, and we shared one bathroom. And so we kind of rotated toilet paper, uh, like who provided it. And it wasn't until college that I had even conceived of the idea of single-ply toilet paper. It's complete madness. I, I get the stuff that they bring, and I'm like, no, this is what you put into a, like a present bag. But they would not relent. They say, this was a dollar. Like, this is a good deal. So I learned very quickly that I kept my own secret stash of Charmin Ultra Soft toilet paper in my closet. It was just for me. There, there are just some of those things that you have to buy name brand. 
and graduates, and this applies to us all. Today, I want to encourage you to continue to buy name brand, if you will, in two areas. Number one, where you look for life. And number two, where you look for fulfillment. And today we're going to open up God's Word to the book of Colossians and see how the Colossians were being tempted to go generic in where they looked for these things. So before we open up, before we look into God's Word, let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll see what God has in store for us. So Heavenly Father, I do thank you for our graduates today and the opportunity to honor them, to send them off. Uh, and I pray that as we open up your word, that you would open it up to us. You would guide us in it, Lord, that, that it would cause us to have a desire to act upon it. Pray that your spirit would be present in this place. Lord, we do thank you for Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. So if you want to open up Colossians chapter 2, we'll be taking a look here starting in verse 6, and I'd like to read it in its entirety for us as we get started. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And we start out here in the first couple of verses, verses 6 and 7, and Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. This phrase, remember where you came from, kind of comes to mind as I read this verse. It's kind of this common phrase given out to um, people who are leaving their hometown into something new, whether it's a country boy moving to the big city uh, or a sports fan moving into rival territory. I don't think we ha- necessarily have any Minnesota natives moving over to Wisconsin uh, next year in our graduates, so that's good. We're not going to be tempted in that area. So whether it's a country boy moving to the big city, a sports fan, or in the case of our graduates, moving on to this next stage in life. Here, Paul gives the encouragement to remember where you came from. Continue your lives in him, in Christ Jesus. And that encouragement, it's equally valid to citizens of heaven who temporarily live in the world. That's what we are. When we hear the gospel, when we accept it as truth, when we place our faith in Jesus, We are born again with heaven as our hometown. 
Remember where you came from. Continue to live your lives in Him. By being rooted in Him. When I think of something with, with good roots, I think of like a thistle plant. We recently bought a house, Kelsey and I, my wife Kelsey and I, we recently bought a house uh, that had a garden in it. But when we moved in, the garden looked like it had not been touched in a couple of years. And so now we're kind of dealing with the consequence of that and kind of, kind of doing a trial and error here as we, uh, as we try and garden. I even put up a picture here and, uh, there are a few edible things in there, but you can see the, the dominating force within that is thistle. That was taken yesterday. And, and a lot of those thistles that you see, I've pulled out already. Once, twice, I think Kelsey's had to go. Here's the thing about this. They tend to have deep roots. And they have them for a reason, because people like me like to come through, pick gloves, and try and pull on them. And I can come up with a big spiky salad all day, but if I don't get that root, when I come back three days later, look at that. That's what happens. And that is this picture that I see that Paul is painting here, being rooted in him. And when we have our lives rooted in Christ, the enemy can come, he can throw everything he wants at us, can rip and tear at everything at the surface. But if we are rooted in Christ, we will endure, we will grow, we will survive. We continue in him by, by being built up in him. Made me think of Caleb, who's going into construction management. Uh, this illustration, this image of, of being built up. This idea that, that this is an ongoing process. It's not a finished product. It's like a house with a foundation and a couple of walls. It's not done yet. But guess what? God is the builder in our lives. He's the architect. He's the guy with a hammer. And he's a master at all of those things. We continue in Him by being strengthened in our faith. Whether that's watching God strengthen our faith, or whether it's being strengthened by our faith when difficult times come, when we are down in the dumps, when things seem like there's no hope, we can be strengthened by that faith in something greater, something that loves us deeply. And finally, we continue in Him by having an attitude of gratitude towards Him. As you've heard, and as we're being reminded of here, Christ Jesus did an immeasurable kindness to me and to you by saving you on the cross. And it's one of those things that he could just never receive enough thanks for. There's not enough thanks that every single human being in the world could give to him. Even if we were to be thankful every single second of the day, there's not enough thanks for it. But we are to continue in him by living our lives. The words of our mouth being thankful. The motivations of our heart being thankful. Being thankful in our everyday actions. And Paul continues on in verse 8, and he says, that, See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which, were, which depends upon human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. So first Paul gives this encouragement. 
So this encouragement to continue on in Christ. And now he doles out a warning. A warning about hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now we have to be careful here not to take Paul's words to mean philosophy at its core, at its base, is a bad thing. Searching for the roots of knowledge is not a bad thing. That's actually what we do here every week as we look into God's word. We call that philosophy. Searching for the root of knowledge, which is God, which is Christ. But what Paul is talking about here is deceptive philosophy. God created us with the capability and the desire to discover. And if you look around the world, you can see so many people living that out. But there are so many brilliant people in the world that just stop one step short. And that's where Paul's warning comes into play. Paul warns of those philosophers, if you will, those seekers of knowledge who try and convince us that their belief, that their system is superior to Christ. And the Colossians seem to be in danger of being swayed by some who would steer them in another direction. And that direction actually was, was one that can be found within God's Word, and that's circumcision. They were trying to add something to Christ, saying Christ plus this is what you need. That's what, we're, that's what they are dealing with. That's this deceptive philosophy that they're dealing with. And David Garland puts this idea in perspective uh, in what the Colossians were dealing with when he says, in Paul's world, ancient tradition ensured the excellence and sanctity of knowledge. If it was old, then it was considered good and not to be lightly dismissed. And so the Colossians weren't being swayed by a new idea as we'll see, but by an old one. The practice of circumcision, which was a practice of God's people since Abraham. But in today's world, we deal with something entirely different in regards to the type of philosophy that that we are primarily in danger from. And Garland continues, and he says, Today, we have convinced ourselves that the newest development is better. New, we assume, means improved. Consequently, we are inclined to be interested in the latest thing. That's the human tradition of today. New is always better. If I got out my iPhone right now, it would be a dinosaur. It still has a headphone jack. New is always better. That's the world that we live in. That's the tradition of the world today. And the struggle that comes along with that is our source material as followers of Christ. The very first pages span back to the creation of the world and the most recent recorded events in this are nearing 2,000 years old. That's not exactly new, if you will, by the world's standards. And therefore, that is the type of danger that we experience today. So our foremost danger is not necessarily being swayed by old ideas, not that there isn't still a danger for that, but what we need to be on the watch for the most, what's being thrown at us the most is from new ideas. But we are in danger nonetheless, just like the Colossians were in danger from deceptive philosophy, relied upon the human tradition of the day. The same is true for us, that we are in danger of deceptive philosophy 
based on the traditions of today. And the second way that Paul characterizes these philosophies, these dangerous philosophies, is by insisting that they depend on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So the line uh, to today is much easier to draw in this characterization. We live in an age where scientific discovery uh, and advancement is happening at an amazing rate. I, I was just, I got a brand new uh, thumb drive, like little USB drive the other day. And I could not, like, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose it because it's, if I held it up, if you were less than 18 years old, you wouldn't be able to see it. We live in an age where that stuff is happening so quickly. And we are gaining a better understanding of the workings of the universe, the way that things work, the way that God established the world. But we as a people are stopping woefully short in that understanding. As a rule, if you look around the world, the prevailing opinion is, is stopping one step short and completely excluding the Creator. The deceptive philosopher would point to the perfect conditions that we live in. Perfect mix of oxygen and other uh, gases, the perfect atmosphere that we have, perfect distance from the sun, that little tilt in our earth that makes life possible. And I'd say that's why there's life here, because it's perfect. That's the way that it happened. That's what the deceptive philosopher would say. But the one who knows the truth, the one who knows Christ, say no. God in his infinite wisdom through Christ established the world in that way in order to put life there. The world today stops one step short, recognizing creation, if you will, but excluding the Creator. And so Paul warns the church not to be deceived by philosophies that stop short of recognizing Christ and his role in creation. Because these philosophies are incomplete. They are cheap. And they don't even come close to being as good as the real deal name brand philosophy that's found in Christ. Next, Paul, Paul describes what that philosophy looks like. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. And Paul starts out, like, right out with the main thing that these deceptive philosophies leave out. And that's Christ. It's like getting into a car with no engine. Paul makes this assertion that Christ is God in the fullest. There is no part of him that is missing. If we're talking percentages here, we're talking 100% God. Not 80%, not 90%, not 99.999, go on forever, percent. 100% God. And if we are in Christ, that is having placed our faith in him. We have been given fulfillment in him. There's not one thing that we are lacking in regards to what we need to gain life and where to find fulfillment. Those things are completely covered in Christ 
in his sacrifice. Again, we're talking percentages here, 100%. Every human philosophy, every school of thought that's contrived by man is reliant upon some power or authority. Whether that's the workings of the universe, gravity, whether that's man-made authorities, kings, rulers, presidents, governments. Every human philosophy relies upon those things. But guess what? Christ is the head of those things. That's what Paul's saying here. He is the head over every power and authority. He established them. He created them. He upholds them. And if you leave him out, again, we're talking something incomplete. Therefore, if you are looking somewhere other than to him, than to him for these things, if you're looking to go generic, if you will, something that's just as good, maybe costs a little less, we will find ourselves unfulfilled. We'll find ourselves without the promise of eternal life. Next, Paul is going to address the specific deceptive philosophy that the Colossians are in danger of falling into, that of circumcision. He says, For in him you are also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by hands, by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So there was a school of thought out there that there was a need to be physically circumcised in order to gain salvation found in Christ. You needed to place your faith in Christ and to be circumcised. Those two things were both required. And Paul addresses this issue um, at length, the church in Galatia, um, and he addresses it again here with the church, uh, with the Colossian church. The practice of circumcision was given as a sign to God's people who were set apart, specifically belonging to God. And that's where this idea came from, that that's what you needed in order to be a child of God. Even if you were a Gentile who wasn't necessarily, wasn't, wasn't part of God's chosen people, we find in the Old Testament that in order to become part God's family, if you will, you needed to be circumcised. Paul's saying you have been circumcised. In him you are also circumcised. The Gentile Christians in the Colossian church were being discouraged by this notion. Here's that idea of older is always better that was kind of the prevailing opinion in Paul's time. Well, this is what we've been doing since Abraham. If you want if you want to be in good with God, this is something that you got to do. That's the old idea. And that wasn't lightly to be thrown away. And that's what they're dealing with here. And Paul encourages them, no, you are set free. You are set apart. For Christ has circumcised your heart. Which is far superior to the physical circumcision done by man. I think of it in this way. If I were to go in to get a surgery done, there's probably a guy here at the Mayo Clinic who is the guy to do it. But 
if I live somewhere else, I might get a guy who that was his first time ever doing it. No? Which would you prefer? If we're really being honest and cost wasn't an option, you could get in to see anyone. Would you want to see Mr. Bottom of his class just barely got his medical degree taking out your kidney? Or do you want Mr. Mayo Clinic, top of his field person doing it? I know, I know which I'd prefer. And that's kind of, I, I draw the comparison there that this circumcision that Paul's talking about is so much better than anything done by the hands of men. It's far superior. And in this circumcision, Christ has accomplished something amazing in us. And our baptism is a sign and a symbol of what we gain when we follow Christ. We share in his death. We share in his resurrection. Being made new and putting off that sinful nature. That's what happens is we get to put off those things. We get to be made new in him and day by day look more like him. Putting off the flesh. And if that isn't enough for you, Paul then gives this vivid view of what God has done for us in Christ. He says, For when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So mankind has made incredible advancements in caring for the human body, for living things in general. Incredible advancements. Whether that's advancements in preventative care, whether that's advancements in surgery and trauma care, we, we treat people differently now than when we did back in the Civil War. I'm very glad about that. We've gained so much knowledge in this area, but there is one thing that continues to elude us. And that's the ability to bring something dead back to life. And I'm not talking about, well, you know, we have electrical paddles. We can start someone's heart again. No, I'm talking about bringing something that is fully and completely dead back to life. That completely eludes us still. And I was struck by that fact um, the other day as I was, I was trimming some very neglected uh, lilac bushes in our, our yard. And I even actually brought in... Uh, I was able to steal this away from our new dog so I could bring it in to you. This is some of the stuff that I trimmed out of our lilac bush. And it was a beautiful lilac bush this year. Flowers were gorgeous. I was cutting this out, just a ridiculous amount of dead branches. They're dry, they're brittle, completely devoid of life. I have no ability to change that. I couldn't say, well, I'm going to go out and plant this in my yard and give it some water and fertilizer and maybe it'll come back to life. No. It's dead. This is destined for my fire pit. How incredible a miracle would it be for this dead, dry, brittle branch to suddenly burst into bloom? That would be incredible. But that's a picture of what Christ has done 
in us. We, before him, were as dead as that branch. And Christ made us alive. And how much more beautiful is that reality of Christ in our lives? That branch did nothing to deserve its eventual fate in my fire pit, other than being too far into the middle of the bush and not being close enough to the sun. Perhaps that's an illustration for another time. But we've deserved that fate. We have earned that fate. We have earned that death. And so how much more beautiful is the reality that Christ has done that? Done something more amazing than making a dead branch burst into bloom. And he did that by forgiving us of our sins. There is a substantial legal debt in our names as a result of our sin. We have committed a crime against God. And there's a penalty for that. But Christ took care of that debt for us. He canceled it. Not by just poof, disappear. He paid it for us. Nailed it to the cross. And our sin wasn't the only thing on that cross. Our dying, bleeding Savior was also on that cross. For us. It just brings to mind my favorite verse from my favorite hymn as well. It says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That is the reality of our lives in Christ. We do not bear that sin anymore. What could possibly hope to rival that? The simple answer is nothing. There's no, there's nothing generic that rivals that. Only the real deal. Only the name brand that is found in Christ. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the gold standard. The name brand. The only way to go. And so seniors, again, I address you directly. As Paul has done here with the Colossians in this passage, I want to be with you as well. I want to encourage you to remember where you came from. To continue on in Christ. Remember what you've been taught, what you've received, and what you believe. I want to warn you against challenges and temptations to come. They'll be there. There will always be those trying to convince you that there's something else. It's just as good. It's just a little bit easier. It costs you a little bit less. And finally, I want to remind you again what Christ has done in your lives. Out of his unmatched and amazing love, you three have parents that love you dearly. You're very lucky in that. Their love for you is absolutely dwarfed by Christ's love for you. He has set you apart as his own child. God has. And Christ lived and died for you. And by dying, he's paid that debt for you. So as you continue on in life, we want to recognize your achievements so far. That's part of our, our custom here at Berean is to recognize the achievements of our graduates, to pray for them, to still come around them, 
as we send them off, we might not see them every week anymore. We want them to know that they're still part of our family. We are praying for them. Um, so I'd like to invite our graduates up with us and, and just kind of let all of you know so that you can more accurately be praying for them as they move into this next stage of life. They're going to need it. So if you're here before and you've never met them, now I get to introduce you to them. So we have Elena here um, who is moving on to Crown College next, is that correct? And she's going to be pursuing nursing. Uh, Nathan Knauer is also one of our graduates. He is out of state at this point, so uh, he's not able to be here, but we'd like to still continue to pray for him. He will be attending RCTC next year. He's almost done with his associates already, uh, and he's going to be moving on, hopefully, to Winona State to finish a two-and-two program in computer science. Uh, Natasha Moose is also graduating this year. She is moving to Texas and is hoping to pursue some childcare type employment. And Caleb here, Caleb Ulbricht, is uh, moving on to St. Cloud State and is hoping to study construction management. So here's what I want us to do. I want you guys to come nice and front and center here. And it might get a little bit crowded up here. I kind of hope that it does. I'd like to invite all of our parents of these graduates forward. And I'd also like to invite up anyone who's invested in them over the course of their time here at Berean, whether that's in high school ministry, middle school ministry, Awana, children's church. I don't know if we have any uh, nursery people, but that'd be pretty impressive. I'd like to invite you up as well to, to lay hands upon these seniors, to let them see the cloud of believers that they have here, praying for them as they move on to the next step. So I'd love to invite you all up now at this point. Um, would you guys come move up here into the center? I'd like to pray for us. And as, as we pray, I'd also like to invite our worship team up as well. Close us in a song following up there. Siblings as well. Yes, yeah, siblings, come on up. Don't want to forget them. Graduates, as these people come up, I just want you to recognize these are the people who care for you. These are the people who have invested in you throughout the course of your life. And these are the people who are going to be praying for you as you move on to this next stage. Let me join us in prayer here. So Heavenly Father, I do thank you for, for these graduates, for, for these young men and this young woman, or who you have created them to be. We pray as they move on that you might continue to build them up in you, that they might be rooted in you, seeking after you, Lord, and finding ways to give thanks to you. Pray that they might be lights in their new environments for you, that they continue to grow in you. Lord, and as they meet challenges, I pray that they would seek you, Lord, and we know that you'll be faithful to respond. Lord, we do thank you for Christ, for what he's done in each and every one of their lives. Pray that seed continues to grow, Lord, and they might grow, be great workers for you in the world. Lord, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to now go ahead and turn it over to our worship team. Once you can see them, we'll close us with a song.